Okay, we're rolling. We got everything figured out. Today we have Matt Brewster. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure. And thanks so much for having me. Of course, man. Well, I saw you on TikTok. You're a real funky bass player. And <laughs> trying to be. <laughs> I thought your uh, your videos were really inspiring. Can you can you talk a little bit about the content that you made? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the video that you caught me on was uh, me covering an Anderson Pack song called Winter Circle. And uh, out of all the videos that I've made on TikTok, which there aren't that many, there's maybe, I don't know, 20 or so. Um, but that was the first one that I ever showcased the fact that I have a disability with my hands. Um, on my right hand, I am missing my four fingers, which is my picking hand. Um, I, so I just have a thumb left and then on my left hand, my middle finger and my ring finger have uh, fused knuckles. So they're actually shorter than they should be, um, mm. for the video viewers to take a look. Um, but pretty much I have, haven't really ever showcased that up until that video. And I really just wanted to, to show that because I think there's a lot of people that could take some inspiration or some motivation out of it and, you know, really just yeah, I mean, be inspired to be better musicians or be better at whatever it is they're doing, um, despite whether or not they have something that's holding them back, like a disability or something that they see as a hindrance. You know, I, uh, I really just kind of want to have people take the things that make them different or unique and turn those into blessings and just really embrace who they are and, and make their craft their own. Well, dude, if your playing says anything, it's definitely a blessing because you're funky as shit. So <laughs> Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. Um, so was that like a, a birth defect you were born with or is it something that happened to you? Um, yeah, you know, I usually like to tell people some sort of crazy elaborate story. Like when they ask me in person, it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, you know, cause I was raised in California. So I would tell people, oh, I was in a surfing accident where like, you know, I encountered a shark and then the shark, <laughs> you know, bit my, bit my fingers off and, but it's okay because I always carry a knife on me, like a diver's knife. So I got his eye. And uh, I told that story to a guy at a party one time and he was in the military and wasted, absolutely drunk. And he believed the shit out of me. And he went around the party like, just like this guy, like telling tell my stories, like this guy got in a fight with a shark and he won. He'd look at me dead nuts in the eyes with all seriousness and earnesty, earnestness. And he'd be like, I respect you more than anybody that I've ever met in my entire life. I'd be like, oh shit, <laughs> I can't tell people that story anymore. <laughs> like your like your Thomas Jane at the end of Deep Blue Sea. Have you seen that movie before? Yeah, I have a long time ago. But yeah. Where he stabs the the shark in the eye with a cross, or maybe it was Ice Cube it, or, or uh, LL Cool J. It was LL Cool J. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so... Um, so what actually happened yes. um, was I was born with what's called amniotic band syndrome. Mm -hmm. So um, from what I understand... I guess that essentially means that there was an imbalance of amniotic fluid in the womb when I was being carried. And that caused me to more or less get tied up with the umbilical cord. Uh -huh. So it didn't allow circulation in, in certain parts of my body to grow the way that they were supposed to. So they ended up coming, coming out like, uh, I don't know, just deformed. So I'm, as a result of that, I am missing fingers on my right hand. I have the fused knuckles on my left. And I'm actually also a right leg amputee as well oh wow okay um i'm missing my right leg below my knee and wow uh, yeah it's kind of wild <laughs> but i've had my entire life to adjust to it um a lot of people say you know when they when they catch me meet wearing pants you know they're like oh i would have never ever noticed by your gait the way that you walk 
it's like, well, you know, <laughs> I've had my entire life to adjust to it. So it's, you know, natural at this point. Well, I imagine being a little kid and going to school, it was, uh, it was difficult being. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I got, I got picked on a bit. Um, I think the worst of it was when I was in middle school, I used to have this one group of little, little bastard kids just dance around in a circle and just like chant metal leg little fingers and like mm-hmm. make gestures at me. Um, and then I try to kick their asses because I have a metal leg and that shit hurts when you kick. Oh leg yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like your Terminator or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like a yeah. cyborg is yeah. what I tell like little kids that are like, mommy, look, you've got a metal leg. Like what's going on? Oh yeah. I'm a cyborg. <laughs> so, um, one of, one of the things that you had posted in your video was, uh, like you were told like as a kid, I'm guessing that you would only ever be able to play trombone if you were even able to play that. That is what I said in the beginning of that video, and that is true. Um, so I guess it kind of started, my interest in music started when I was like in fourth grade, I think it was. Um, I wanted to join the school band, and they were like, fat chance. <laughs> like, what, what are you going to do? Like, maybe the trombone? Um, like, that's probably all that you're going to be able to do. And so like, like any little kid that doesn't like to be told what to do, I absolutely played the trombone. <laughs> and I did that for, for the year of fourth grade. Um, and it's a fun instrument. I was just terrible at it. And I don't think it's because of like any level of skill necessarily, just so much as I wasn't quite as interested in it, you know? Yeah, for sure. That, that and I, uh, I couldn't read sheet music. Like they didn't do a very good job at like teaching the kids how to read sheet music. They just kind of expected you to learn on your own and then show up to school band practice, kind of having an idea. Um, so I never really took to that. And uh, to this day, I still don't know how to read sheet music, but that's okay because there's not a ton of gigs that require me to. No, no. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you're living in Portland, Oregon now. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I grew up in uh, central California. I've been living in Portland since 2005. Okay. What is the music scene like in, in Portland? Depressing. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, you know what? It's, it's not all depressing. It's just like, it was, it was kind of on the rise for a while, you know, like everybody was getting a lot of forward momentum pre-COVID and then COVID hit and just kind of crushed everybody's souls. And yeah. it's kind of like it did everywhere, right? Um, I feel like a lot of like key players in the scene have have moved on to, to other pastors, not necessarily greener, but other pastors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of venues that have closed down due to due to the pandemic and just the landscape has changed enough to where th- things are a little bit different. And I think we might be on an upswing again, but for a sec, it seemed like we were, you know, the music scene was dying a little bit here in Portland. Um, but that being said, there are a lot of really talented musicians, really cool musicians too. And it's all kind of a community, um, like a really tight knit community. Everybody kind of knows each other, which is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've never been to to Portland, Oregon before. I, I grew up not far from Portland, Maine, though. Uh, oh yeah, that's the other side of the country. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it, like with anything with music, yeah, COVID was definitely a situation. Like I'm living in Nashville, so I have a lot of luxuries living here as a musician. Yes, sir. Uh, have you ever visited here before? No, but I keep being told that I need to. Dude. I've never even been to that part of the country before. I've really? definitely been up and down the East Coast and the West Coast, 
but like middle America has eluded me so somehow. Um, I need to change that. I need to. I really want to go to Austin, and I really want to go to Nashville. Yeah, um, Nashville is crazy. Like, th- there's multiple music scenes in Nashville. Like the the scene that I'm really a part of is like the East Nashville rock music kind of original scene. But there's a bluegrass scene. There's a country scene. There's a singer songwriter scene. There's a blues funk and soul scene there's Absolutely. a little bit of, of a jazz scene but th- there's all these different things like people you know they when they come to visit nashville they'll ask like oh so like do you play country music and i'm like <laughs> no no I, I i don't think i've had one country gig since i've i've been in nashville for the most part it's it's seriously been, yeah it's and how long been. have you been playing so i've been in nashville for six years and I've been playing since I was like 14 or 15. I'm 30 now. Okay. But the, the benefit of living in Nashville is being a bass player because the only, uh, the only people that play bass here are guitar players that are looking for gigs. <laughs> Not true bass players, but yeah. guitarists that can play bass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, and in, in all seriousness, there's a lot of great players here and all that. But yeah, I mean, I just created a little niche for myself playing with these original rock bands and kind of being a sideman for them. Oh, awesome, man. Which, which is how I prefer it. But yeah, no, it's, it's a great scene here. Like there, there's uh, like the black keys are here and Jack white is here. So some of the biggest names in rock music are in Nashville, cage, the oh. elephant, a bunch of different people are here. I didn't realize that. I guess I should have known that, but yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. I mean, Port- Portland's not the same. We got like what the Decemberists who, I don't know if they're, they're still making music or not. Um, Portugal, the man, <laughs> I don't think any of them reside here anymore. Really. Yeah. Um, but that's crazy that you say that you've never played a country gig in Nashville because absolutely you bet that when I think of Nashville, like the first two things that I think of are like country and blues. Yeah, for sure. No. And it's definitely here. Like so like with anything, there is a Mickey Mouse version of Nashville. Like if you go down to Broadway, which is where Tootsie's is and all the honky tonks and all of that, most of the music that you're going to hear down there, it's actually not even country. Like you will for sure hear country, but it's going to be mostly classic rock. Like it's going to be like Jesse's. Wow. Girl. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think people have an impression, but you also got to think as generations are changing, like people aren't necessarily, there are people who are going to be like, Oh, I want to hear Merle Haggard. I'm in Nashville. But the average 25 year old bachelorette that's coming here is, is not going to want to necessarily listen to that. They're going to want to hear fallout. Absolutely not. Right. Right. Or panic at the disco, something of the sort. Right. Yeah, totally. Can we, can we backtrack to Jesse's girl for a second? Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that song was written about another member of the band's girlfriend. Right. I don't know. I, I personally never heard that. The thing, the thing I always think of when uh, I hear Jesse's girl, have you ever seen boogie nights? A long time ago. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. So there's that scene at the end where they go see the Coke dealer and they're about to go rob him. And there's like uh, a guy in the background who's lighting all these firecrackers and the, and the Coke dealer, he's all crazy and shit. Like he's smoking weed and he's all coked out. And he um he says, Ricky Springfield, he's a friend of mine. It's Alfred Molina, the guy who played <laughs> oh, Doc yeah. Ock. Oh yeah, man. But that's what I always think of. But yeah, I don't know if... um 
if it was written about someone someone else in the band i mean dude yeah, that I, doesn't I, surprise I can't, me i can't i can't confirm that uh, that's just something i've heard and i wasn't sure if maybe you've heard the same thing but that's hilarious if it is true yeah <laughs> no so um yeah nashville really like the whole broadway scene is its own thing like you could you can make pretty good money playing down there i i, I know people who play down there regularly um, cause basically what it is, it breaks down. There's four shifts a day. There's 10 AM till 2 PM, 2 PM till 6 PM, 6 PM till 10 PM. And then 10 PM till 2 AM. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize, I didn't realize uh, people went out to see music that early in the morning. Yeah. So a lot of those, like, it depends on the bar and all that, but some of the places, It'll be like uh, acoustic shows, you know, it might just be a duo sure. or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, you can get gigs in Nashville if you want to get paid gigs. It's a grind down there, but you can make pretty good money. I have a feeling it's a grind anywhere. Really. Yeah, it um, is. You know, especially just being a sideman like uh, like you or me. You know, it's a it's a never ending battle for find, finding gigs and taking gigs and and learning new tunes gosh like learning oh, so many new tunes oh yeah i mean i <laughs> have like hey got... hey learn this four-hour gig within a week it's like oh yeah. okay oh. <laughs> well that that's what is so hard about being a side man because it's like i do a million other things like i do the podcast i'm also an uber and lyft driver and then whatever other random odd jobs i need that week and like i've started realizing how much time it actually takes to prep for even a 45 minute set Cause it's like, I have to learn the songs and write the charts mm-hmm. and practice on my own before I even step foot in a rehearsal like space with the people Absolutely, that I'm Absolutely, because with. it's rehearsal. It's not group practice. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Do, are you, do you find that uh, as time has gone on, you're spending less and less time practicing on your own and just like kind of getting better at like doing a couple run throughs of a song and just being ready for rehearsal? Yeah. I mean, especially now that I can, I can write charts fairly quickly, depending on how complex they are. Um, And I might have questions, you know, because it's like being a side man. So I play with a couple (laughs) different bands. I play with this band, Violet Moons. They're badass. It's my friends, Aubrey and Kiera. Okay. And and that's, um, it's like a witchier, spookier version of like Lana Del Rey. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, so it's really cool. We actually just got done recording um, some tracks in a studio, and, and I kind of came on like after they were underway. But that's super cool. My friend, the Weird Sisters, who are freaks, dude. They're just fantastic musicians. Um, but that's more of like a, a chops gig. Like the the Violet Moons gig, that's, that's more of like support role, you know. I'm sure. between the first and the fifth fret. Holding it down, baby. Yeah, holding <laughs> it down. Um, because that's what it is. Like, their, their vocal harmonies are the lead instrument. Sure, yeah. You don't want to take focus away from that. Exactly. And then with, like, the Weird Sisters, that's more... It's... They brought me in because I have chops. You know what I mean? Hey, like, and, I, I, and as a bass player, it's your time to shine, finally. Hey, I bet you're all about that. Yeah, I'd be all about that. It's it's super fun, man. But the, yeah, the, like my point being is like Nashville is so many different things musically. Like, sure, you can make a living here. And plus there's just access to crazy recording studios, you know, like uh, Blackbird Studios. I don't know if you've heard of Blackbird right. before. I have, yeah. Dude, I've gotten to record there three times. 
That's so um, badass. And, and, and it's been a great experience every time. They have like this, uh, this engineer school where people can pay money to go there to learn how to be an engineer. Okay. So they have these classes and it's just like from living in Nashville for so long, I know like various people who know people that run the program. So I'll just randomly get a call sometimes, yo, next week, Monday through Thursday, uh, 10 till five, can you do sessions at Blackbird? And I'm like, hell yeah. Absolutely. Uh, That's a dream right there. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's cool as fuck, dude. I mean, Nashville really is a dream come true. Um, but you know, it's funny because I'm directly in it every single day. Like there is no escape ever from music in Nashville. Not that I want there to be. Yeah. I was about to say like, that sort of seems like the way to way to be. Yeah. It's, it's really immerse yourself into it. Always be surrounded by it. And you're never running out of, you know, motivation or inspiration to do music. No. Then again, that being said, I don't always want to play music. I'm sure no. you don't either. <laughs> no, I mean, you get you get burned out, and I think that's natural. Um, oh, yeah. When did you start playing bass? Um, I started playing bass um, when I was in sixth grade, so that would have been like, like 2000, 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my mom passed away when I was 11, <clears throat> and uh, like I, need, I definitely needed some sort of musical outlet that wasn't the trombone for sure, you know, and cause I, I love playing music. And I think one of the reasons why I even wanted to play a stringed instrument period was because of WCW wrestling. Um, I was watching a lot of it at the time and Hulk Hogan would do his ring walk into the, you know, into the arena. And it was Jimi Hendrix's uh, voodoo child. Fuck and that was like, actually my introduction to Jimi Hendrix was freaking WCW Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, and so Instead of learning how to play the guitar, my brother wanted to learn how to play the guitar. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps because he's my older brother. But what really, really did it with bass was there was a girl that I had a, the biggest crush on. Um, her name was Samantha Betancourt. And it was in between, it was in the summer between fifth and sixth grade. And the school band had finally opened up and they got a new music director and they were like, okay, we're going to like, have sort of a more jazzier program it was not a jazz program but like you know more than they just a traditional a band, band instruments yeah well samantha bencourt she wanted to play guitar and i was like i want to be in a band with you so i i will learn the bass and i did and or at least i showed up with the bass the next year she did not show up unfortunately but i stuck with it and uh i uh you know had had some really good friends friends in that band and uh one of one of my best friends is um of the time his name was uh, brett he played the guitar and we formed our first band together and you know listened to a whole lot of punk rock music metal and that was like what i was into first was like the harder hard rock stuff yeah what, what were your favorite players like in that time period when you first started playing i don't think i even knew any players if i'm going to be completely honest with you um i think I, I was just like more into bands period you know what i mean um I think at the time I was really into like Metallica, but I also really liked Sublime. And I think Third Eye Blind was like a really big, yeah, <laughs> really big uh, influence on like me wanting to keep on rocking. I think they were like my first concert that I went to too was Third Eye Blind, <laughs> which I still love Third Eye Blind. They're great. Yeah, no, they have some great songs like Jumper, Semi Charmed Life, which you will hear down on Broadway every single night that you're down there. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what? I'm about it. As I'm about it, too. Like, if it's not Wagon Wheel or, you know. Um, There's definitely Wagon Wheel. 
every they're everywhere there is wagon wheel yeah yeah <laughs> nothing's gonna get a, a room full of middle-aged people turned like wagon wheel in sweet caroline <laughs> oh yeah dude i mean it, it's like being an uber driver too i i see so much of uh like the people coming through the city in nashville i will say like it it, it is fairly diverse in some ways because it's such a hot destination now it's become oh, sure. like, like an it city so there, i've had like a lot of people from around the world coming to visit nashville and a lot of musicians from around the world come here because they know it's music city it's a yeah i'm pretty sure it's a world-renowned music city you know like yeah. everybody knows there's music in nashville like when i think of like major cities in the united states that do music i obviously think of like la new york city nashville would be next on the list like you know chicago austin uh, New Orleans, places like that, you know, and uh, Nashville, absolutely, yeah, that's one of the places that that does it the does it the most. So I keep jumping around, but I want to get back to when you uh, when you first started playing. Oh yeah, sure. Was it challenging? <clears throat> Was there any adjustments that you had to make early on to figure out to like how to develop a style? Um. Yeah, I, I wasn't very stylistically savvy at all when I first started playing. Yeah, um, yeah. Even the first several years I started playing, like, to be honest with you, like, I mean, there's not a lot of, and I'm not throwing any shade at bands like Third Eye Blind, but there's not like a bunch of stanky, you know, yeah, no. stuff going on. There's there, no you know? Joe Darts in Third Eye Blind. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was just like mainly sticking to Roots and Fists, um, but I played exclusively with a pick um, because I just didn't really see how there could have been any other way you know um and uh as far as like my left hand goes you know i i think i just kind of naturally like i use a lot of index finger and pinky you know like just naturally I, to this day i still do like I'll, I'll, I'll use these fingers but like if there's if there's a way for me to not then i i won't just because there's not as much leverage or strength behind them as there yeah. there is with with the other two fingers but uh yeah, I um, I didn't actually like really get into playing the bass until like my adult life. Like I was playing the bass then, you know, but I didn't really like dig into it until until way later. Um, it's I guess uh, <laughs> I so I was in bands during high school and I played with this wicked cool guitar player. His name's Bobby, and uh, he was just doing all the Eddie Van Halen like finger tap and just shredding like a madman. Like he was way too good for a guitar player his age. Um, and I kind of wanted to do that. So I sort of, after I graduated high school and I moved to Portland, I kind of shied away from playing the bass for a while. I was like, I want to learn how to play guitar. And so I spent several years playing guitar and I was actually kind of good at it for a while. Um, and then I also picked up some percussion. Um, like I'd played some, like a drum kit back when I was younger. Um, but then I really got into hand percussion a lot just because also I'm, you know, I'm missing that leg. And so sometimes, and I'm not saying that I was like awful at it, but I wasn't really able to get the, the kick pedal down the way that I wanted to I have control over that the way that I really wanted to. Um, but with hand percussion, I found that, man, like I could absolutely destroy a cajon in a djembe, you know, yeah, like yeah, absolutely totally. murk that. Um, so I also, uh, I ended up getting kind of, and this this kind of sucks, but I, I ended up getting pretty addicted to drugs when I was in my young twenties, and stopped playing music altogether. Like I just really wasn't doing it. Um, but then I formed a funk hip hop band with uh, some friends of mine. I met this guy in, in college, 
And uh, he was a rapper and he wanted to make a, a live band, you know? And, and I was like, dude, I like funk music these days. So like, let's go for it. And, and we did. We started uh, gaining s- some decent traction at the time, you know, like the city of Portland and the surrounding areas like Seattle and Pacific Northwest. We were playing out quite a lot. And uh, being addicted to drugs, I was like, oh man, like I'm not really giving myself or this band a fair shot. So I <laughs> checked myself into rehab and kicked the drugs, but that's was kind of the catalyst of like me really digging into the base because once I got sober for the first time in I don't know how many years, I was just like so anxious and just like really didn't know what to do with myself. So I absolutely just threw myself into being a better bass player. And that's kind of when I ditched the pick actually. Um, I was like on a quest for tone and I wasn't getting the tone that I wanted with the pick. I, I could still play with the pick like really well. Like, I mean, one of one of my favorite bass players is Bobby Vega. I mean, and oh, Bobby yeah, Vega yeah. like is a funk machine. And yeah. that man does play with the pick very, very well. Um, and I guess if like the gig still called for it, I'll, I'll still use one. But yeah, I, I ditched the pick. And then I started trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I, how can I, how can I play like all the other bass players do? And the answer was I can't, but I can figure out how to get the tone that I like and play like I do. And I think one of the, there were, there were two really big influences on me um, when I was really digging into the bass. And that was James Jamerson was number one. Oh dude, of course. Of course. Well, any bass player will tell you like, you know, James Jamerson, he's got to be one of the guys. Yeah. But what really struck me about him wasn't just how dope his lines were and just how tasty he was, but that he only played with one finger. You know, he only yeah. plucked with one finger. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The um, hook. That's it. You got it. You got it. And so uh, I was like, well, shoot, man. Like, I don't have a finger, but I got one nub that I can pluck with on this hand. And I'm going to use shit out of that nub. So I, I have been. Um, and so granted, I to this day, I still can't do alternate plucking like a lot of people can. I can't do the economy picking or economy raking like a lot of people can. But um, I mean, I, I'm still... I'm still finding a way to make myself sound pretty tasty, you know, and, and being as percussive and in the pocket as I can be when, when I'm playing out. Um, and I think the other guy that really influenced me a lot was when I first saw Victor Wooten, like I didn't discover him until like, you know, the early 2010s, even though he's been around for forever, you know, um, I saw the base day 98 video and my fucking jaw hit the floor. <laughs> I just couldn't believe what I was he's doing. An, he's an incredible player. Um, there's there's like a few bass players that I would compare to like the the Jimi Hendrix of bass because like Jimi Hendrix he really understood what the electric guitar instrument was and what and, it could be and what it could be and also what its limitations are. Another sure. player like Jocko, for instance, I would say the same oh, thing yeah. for, for Jocko or like Victor Wooten. You know, Victor Wooten is just so inventive in the way that mm-hmm. his lines are and his technical ability is ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But yeah. And same with Jocko too. Like, I mean, I, I never thought to do harmonics on a bass until I heard Jocko, you know, that's so it's such a beautiful thing too. Just, you know, I mean, yeah, you can do harmonics on a guitar. It's so beautiful, but there's yeah something about hearing those on a bass that is just so unexpected for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure that yeah when you when you throw those in it just gets so tasty <laughs> yeah no i i think too like uh listening to someone like james jamerson he was playing these super riffy lines 
but he also he had the groove you know what i mean like yeah absolutely perfect his phrasing is is amazing as well just like the way that he threw his lines together and stayed in the groove um yeah it's absolutely perfect i would i would never want to go back and have another bass player redo any of those lines ever (laughs) no perfect no I, I would say my other, like, personally for me, that my other favorite players are, like, uh, Donald Duck Dunn from Stax Records, like Booker oh. T and the MGs, um, and Carol Kay. So, like, I'm a flat Oh, player. that's an OG right there. Yeah, that's yeah. an OG. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I like, my main bass, it's, uh, well, the, actually, it's the only bass I own, but it's a, uh, like, an 03 or an 04 Fender Japanese P bass. Japanese, huh? Yeah. That's cool. I like Dude. that. I got it for like 500 bucks off of eBay. It's a 62 reissue. Okay. And as soon as I got it, I put some labella flatwounds on there. Man, it sounds good. Anytime Ooh. I'm playing out at gigs, like people are like, what is that? Like that bass sounds so good. I'm like, dude, it's the strings. I mean, it's also a Fender P bass. So that does it. But like, I mean, I a, Fender, love... a Fender P will always sound good in the mix. But yeah, labellas, yeah. I mean, those are the flats. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're playing flats, those, those are them. <laughs> those are the ones. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, you went through this period where you, uh, you got super into bass and it was because you were getting sober. Like what mm-hmm. were some of the things in your life that you, you were finally like, I need to get sober and I, I need to change. Did you have like a moment that you hit? I did. Yeah. I was just uh super high, like wasting my life away, watching TV, just like being completely okay with it. And then one day I wasn't, I was just like, wow, I'm like in my mid twenties, which is not old by any means, but it's also like, you know, you're, you're on the starting to get to the other side of 30, which is when, you know, you're like an adult adult. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, wow, like if I continue on this trajectory, I will have wasted my entire life away or my youth away and can't be having that. So I, uh, yeah, it was, it was just time to, time to stop, man. That, and like I said, I, I really wanted to, I was realizing that I really did want to play music professionally and that was not a sustainable way to do it. Which is interesting because, uh, I mean, if you are a musician anywhere, you know, there's a lot of temptation, even oh, there's drugs around for sure. Everywhere, everywhere you <laughs> oh, go, for sure. drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, whatever vice you're looking for, you can find in bars, clubs, weddings, whatever is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the drugs that I was doing were just, uh, yeah, man, they were, they were bad. You know, like I, I drink still like that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Um, sex, I don't think would ever stop me from playing music. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, it would just make the music better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to be quite honest with you, I don't know. Sometimes the drugs made it seem like it was better. I don't know whether or not it was, um, the age old question. Th- Right, right, right. Um, But what I did know is that like waking up every morning and like needing something in order to feel normal was not the way to go. Like that, you know, like the whole get well ideas is a gross thing. Did you have like any like family or friends that you went to during this time period and you kind of told them what was up? Um, I had an older brother that that lived in Portland at the time. He still lives in Portland now, actually. Um, but yeah, he, he knew what was up. He knew what was going on. But, um, you know, it was, uh, I, I definitely had the support of my friends and the family that knew about it. I definitely had the support from them too. And that was absolutely huge for sure. 
Oh and, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you can't, any, anybody dealing with addiction like that has to have a, a strong support system. Like the, the want to get off it is obviously the, the most important thing. You have to make that conscious decision that says, yo, like I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, but man, yeah, like you got to have that support system for sure. It, it's a tough thing. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I just know from doing the podcast, like I've had on a couple like addiction specialists. One of them oh. was uh, George Collins and he runs like a sex and porn addiction uh, rehab out in California. Oh, okay. Wrote a book on it. And then I had on a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Vera Tarman, and she's a food addiction expert. Oh, wow. So those were two things that I was interested in kind of exploring because uh, sex and food are both natural parts of life, you know, not to diminish any of the other uh, no, no. addictions or anything. I, like I hear what you're saying, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Like those, those are definitely um, different, different kinds of addictions when you automatically think of addiction, you know, that that's not usually it but they are necessary parts of life. So it's, yeah, it's, um, I can, uh, I can definitely see how one could be addicted and how much harder it could be to like control that once you're in, you know, in those oh, particular yeah. areas. Yeah. It, it was, uh, illuminating to learn about that kind of stuff. Um, just because there was so much that, that I didn't know. And, you know, in, in terms of addiction, it's, it's, uh, it's really becoming like a topic of conversation and mental health in general and in America right now, people mm -hmm. are much more willing to, to talk about it. You know, I, I can think back to maybe 10 years ago um, that it wasn't like a big thing. Like you couldn't be like, Oh, I'm depressed, you know, or anything like you could, but now it's just like, people are like, they take it seriously now. Yeah, I mean, mental health is a, is a huge topic these days, and I'm I'm here for that because that is absolutely true. Like, I mean, especially as as men too. Like, we're you know we're always like conditioned to not like show emotion or you know any 100%. sort of weakness. Um. So the fact that it's becoming commonplace for people to talk about their mental health, I man, as a man, and I'm I'm just re I'm really thankful for that because yeah, I, I take my mental health very seriously. And I think uh, my physical health kind of goes hand in hand with how my mental health is doing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's like you have to, I, I really see the mind, body and, and spirit. They're, they're three separate things, but they're all intertwined. You can't have one without the other if you're a human being on this earth. Absolutely. It's all symbiotic for sure. Um, man, yeah, I've... I've <laughs> I've even gone to the to the point where like I'm at the gym like for two hours every morning, you know, like first That's thing great, I do dude. when I wake up in the morning is like try to make sure I get some exercise. Granted, it's not like every single morning, but like most mornings for sure. Um, and I think part of that actually now that I think about it is probably to counteract the fact that I'm an asshole to my body when I'm on the weekends out playing gigs and stuff. Oh, yeah. Cause you know, it, I, I drink and I'll eat the pizza. I'll eat the bar food, yeah, you know, just abusing sure. the crap out of myself. <laughs> Yeah, I got to do something, man. So <laughs> yeah, before, it keeps me right. Before we started up, you you were telling me about this uh, this duo project that you have with another producer. It's called Hiroki. Is that right? Did I say it right? That that is correct. Yeah. Um. So we started that basically at the kind of like right before the pandemic started. Um. So it's me and this other guy named Salvatore Manalo. He's a Filipino homie that I got um, in town. He's 
an incredible guitar player, like so slick, so smooth. Um, and he's a great vocalist also. Um, turns out he's also a very competent producer. So we he moved into a house with his wife um, that was like five minutes away from mine. So during the pandemic, like when everybody was on lockdown, we kind of like, we're like, all right, we can hang out with each other and we're gonna make music together. So we absolutely did. And, uh, you know, lots lots of barbecues, lots of drinking because nobody had any other real responsibilities. Yeah, <laughs> and, totally. uh, you know, so I just go over to his studio at his house and uh, we just mess around and, and come up with some tunes. So, I mean, we ended up coming up with like an album's worth of music and kind of release all the songs one at a time, like a song a month is kind of what we ended up doing. And we started that October, 2020. Um, and then, yeah, we continued on with that trend, released a, a new song every single month, all the way up until last November when we finally released a six song EP. And uh, yeah, it's it's available everywhere that you consume music, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, all that. <laughs> nice. Uh, cool project, so man. I'll have to check it out. Um, send, send me a song. I can throw it on the end of this episode. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Can do. Or I'll just... Uh, I'll send you a couple songs if you could pick whichever one you like. Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, where can people find you at? How can they find like your TikTok, your Instagram? What do they have to look up? Uh, it's all just funky.brewster, but funky is spelled with a PH. So like, I mean, Punky Brewster, my last name's Brewster, right? So yeah, like, I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't pass that up, man. I yeah, go you got to go Brewster. with it. Yeah, so at funky.brewster, um, IG, TikTok. Uh, I'm I'm there. <laughs> awesome. Dude, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much for having me on. Of course. You're an inspiring guy. You know, I, I hope there's there's people out there, especially like kids that that see your videos and and know, you know, despite whatever circumstance they may be in, there's a way to persevere. Cause that's that's the way I felt when I when I saw you. That is absolutely the message that I'm trying to send. And I'm not saying that it's not going to take a lot of hard work. And I'm not saying that you're ever going to be able to live up to the idea of perfection that maybe you've built up in your head. Um, but if you want it bad enough, there's more often than not, there's a workaround and there's a way for you to do it. And I just want to encourage people to, to do what they love. Awesome, dude. That is a perfect place to end it. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks again. 